Thanks, Carrie. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Happy New Year to all of you and to you folks who are joining us online. Happy New Year to you as well. We hope that everyone has a safe and happy New Year. Uh, so, question, uh, how many of you will actually stay up and ring in the New Year? Okay, how many of you are a party pooper like me and you'll be in bed by 10? Okay, it's pretty, you guys, there's many more uh, night owls in this service than the other services. Well, whatever the case is, uh, we hope that you have a wonderful time. And I, I don't know about you, but I actually, I love the new year because for me, it is kind of a, a turning the page. And to follow the old cliche, it's, it's out with the old and it's in with the new. And I, I enjoy the holidays for sure, but I really look forward to the new year because I see it as God's way of providing all of us an opportunity to start over. It also allows us to look back on the previous year and recount both the good times and the bad while also looking ahead to the year to come with a fresh perspective. It's at this time of the year that many of us plan. We set goals. We come up with resolutions. How many of you set resolutions? There's like one person. Come on. Really? Man, well, well, let's see, let's see if you, if any of these re resolutions resonate with you. So these are kind of the top resolutions in the United States. Um, the first one is spending more time with family and friends. But of course, after the Christmas season, we're probably like, I've had enough family, right? But uh, we all want to exercise more. We want to eat right. Uh, of course, those of us who smoke, we probably hope to quit smoking and quit drinking. And then a lot of us endeavor to get out of debt. Now, all of that sounds great, right? But here's the sad part. And you know this is coming. About 80% of people will not fulfill their New Year's resolutions. In fact, most people, they give up on them by... <laughs> By February 1st, you know, it's the 30-day 30 30 plan. And I, ah, that's, that's way too hard. So anyway, resolutions are something that uh, is a good, healthy thing for all of us to do. But in spite of the dismal um, retention rate for resolutions, one thing that we all can do is begin our new year with hope. And hope is something that our world is desperate for, isn't it? It just seems to me, I don't know if you're like me, but it, it feels like we're ending the year with so much heaviness. Anyone else feel that? We're all aware of the Israeli-Palestinian war that's raging, and there seems to be no end to the Russian-Ukraine war, and something that's actually flown under the radar on the world stage is what's been happening in Sudan over the last six to eight months, where over 10,000 people have been killed and five and a half million people have been displaced from their homes. And then, of course, there's numerous other regional conflicts throughout the world that include civil war and disruptions to normal, everyday life. And stateside, of course, we've got our own challenges, don't we? Rampant drug use and homelessness have overrun our major cities. Along with that is higher 
and more violent crime, and there seems to be more and more confusion around gender and sexuality, and as if all of that isn't challenging enough, we'll constantly be reminded that the year ahead is an election year. Oh, oh gosh, and all of the yuck that comes with that, right? That'll present us all with plenty of opportunities for division and opportunities to be enraged. You know, I'm not one to see a devil behind every rock, but we know that what happens in the spiritual realm manifests itself in the natural realm. And that's why the Apostle Paul, he gives us a reminder that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, against things that we can see, but instead against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I mean, just a casual look around. And we can see that Satan is living out his mission statement, which is, as as Jesus says, it's to steal, kill, and destroy. So, in spite of all the craziness in our world and what feels like hopelessness, I thought it would be interesting to see what is it, if anything, that people are hopeful for in 2024. Check this out. I'm very hopeful that next year everybody's going to start getting along a little bit better and we're all going to treat each other as we wish to be treated. In 2024, I am very hopeful in being successful at what God has before me and being a good steward of what he has set before me. I'd sure like to see this world go back to some resemblance of normal. In 2024, I'm pretty hopeful for really diving into how to practice what I've learned um, this last year in my internship. I hope for a healthy and exciting year. I hope that the Bengals win the Super Bowl. That people uh, learn to love each other instead of find commonality instead of differences. In 2024, I'm hopeful that I can survive teaching not one but two teenagers how to drive. That the war in Ukraine stops before any other people can get seriously hurt. I'm hopeful for mending of relationships with my four older children that live afar. You can be prodigal all you want, but there's a time in which you may need to come to the house, so knock on the door, I'll open. It's pretty good, isn't it? You can see that all of these folks, they have various types of hopes and things that they're putting their hope in. And some of these things these folks are putting their hope in will disappoint, right? I mean, teenage drivers, come on. And, and the Bengals in the Super Bowl, man, I don't know if that's going to happen this year. You know, last night after service, that mother and son team, uh, they came out uh, and visited with me and they wanted to take a picture with me because I know that they're going to use that against me if the Bengals make it to the Super Bowl. But as Christ followers, you and I have an opportunity, especially with the year ahead, And the darkness that seems to envelop our world, we have an opportunity to shine bright and provide people with hope, a hope that is only found 
in Christ Jesus. Now, the passage of Scripture that I want to share with you this morning comes from the book of Lamentations. And you might be thinking, how can you talk about the subject of hope out of a book of lament? Well, as we will see, even in the midst of lament, we can still find hope. So Lamentations chapter 3, we'll pick up in verse 22. God's word says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, the book of Lamentations, according to tradition, was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And it's a book comprised of five poems with the backdrop to the book being the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem that occurred in 586 B.C. And at the time, the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a leader of the most ruthless, most powerful force in the world. And he would go on to wield his power uh, to bring neighboring nations to their knees and uh, cause them to be subjected to him. In Jerusalem, their king decided to give his allegiance to Egypt, which, of course, didn't make Nebuchadnezzar happy at all. So Nebuchadnezzar, he decides to invade Jerusalem. But prior to his invasion, he's going to lay a three-year siege on the city. And then upon invading, he would go on to kidnap tens of thousands of Jews and exiled them to present-day Iraq, while at the same time, he completely destroyed the Jewish temple. Think of what happened this past October 7th over in Israel, but only on a, on a huge, on a grander scale. So that's the backdrop to Lamentations. And what Jeremiah witnessed in this exile was utter, complete despair amongst the Jewish people. These people were filled with grief and loss, pain, denial, shock, heartache. They would go on to suffer through affliction and hard labor. And although we here in the United States, we can't begin to quite understand what that it feels like or looks like living in those conditions. There are millions of people around the world right now who are living under such conditions. And that's pretty sobering when you think about it. And in spite of Jeremiah's surroundings and what he was witnessing, he reminds us in this verse about the goodness of God and the promise of a new beginning. And with that, there are several truths that we can glean from this passage that are just as relevant today as they were then. The first is this, the love of the Lord never ceases. The love of the Lord never ceases. And it's not just the love of the Lord, but what does our passage say? It says the steadfast love of the Lord. And I love that word steadfast. It means loyal, persistent, constant. If you're steadfast, you don't change. God's love for you and I is just that. It's steadfast. It never changes. It never ceases. 
And we can't really begin to understand that kind of love because the love that you and I engage in is often conditional and transactional. You know, you love me, then I'll love you. Our love can wax and wane in intensity. For example, the intensity of love that my wife has for me changes every day. There are some days where she is completely over me, like so done with me. Anyone else have a significant other you experience that with? Okay, yeah, yeah. And then there's other days where she thinks I have hung the moon and the stars. Okay, maybe that's a little too much, but that's what I want to believe, okay? And it's the same in how I love her. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that my love doesn't waver. It's just that some days I love her more than others. But that's not the love that the Lord offers. See, God's love for us isn't fickle. It isn't based on what we do, what we do for him, what we do for others, how we act, how we talk. God places no conditions on his love for us. In fact, John writes this, we love because he first loved us. Did you catch that? God first loved you. God initiates and then we respond. There wasn't anything that you and I have done to deserve God's love. He just loves us. And again, I know that many of us, we grew up in a home where love from a parent was conditional. You know, it was based on how well we behaved or based on our achievements that we attained. And because of that kind of experience that we had with our parents, we oftentimes come to view God the same way. Just two weeks ago after service, I met with a gentleman out in the mall area, and he shared with me how he grew up in a home where his father was a very stern, hard-nosed guy, a father who was never happy with him. And unfortunately, this gentleman has come to view God the same way. So I had a chance to gently remind him that God's love for him is not conditional. And this is something that I've had to remind myself of as well, because I grew up in a home where my dad was mean-spirited. He was a, a heavy disciplinarian, and just in general, was not a pleasant person to be around when I was a kid. But about 10 years before he died, he ended up coming to faith in Christ, and it completely changed his life. He became this really happy, jovial kind of guy. But I've had to catch myself over the years, many times, when I begin to think about God in a negative way. But again, going back to our verse, God's love for you and I is steadfast. In fact, he went so far as to prove his love for us by sending his son Jesus to die a horrible death on a cross in your place and mine. And in his letter to the Romans, Paul reminds us of this. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Another verse that illustrates God's love for us comes from 1 John. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son 
into the world that we might live through him. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes, I need to oftentimes be reminded of the Father heart of God who provides us all with a love that never ends and isn't conditional and based on anything that you and I do. All right, second point is this. His mercy is new every morning. The dictionary, it defines mercy as this. Having compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's own power to punish or harm. Basically, with mercy, you're not getting what you deserve. And I don't know if there's anything quite as powerful as mercy. See, God withholding his judgment upon us sinners is all because of his mercy. And there are some of you who are here this morning or even watching online, and you're thinking, man, I have totally screwed up in my life. I've totally screwed up. I'm not deserving. I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of his mercy. And you are absolutely right. In fact, none of us are. None of us are worthy of God's mercy. But that's where the hope of the gospel message enters in and reminds us of what Jesus did for us at the cross, where he took upon himself all of the wrath of God that was intended for you and me. Our verse from Lamentations, it tells us that no matter how much you messed up yesterday, today is a new day. Today is a clean slate. Today is a day that you and I can experience the richness of God's mercy. The question is, are you going to receive his mercy or not? You know, most mornings... That's my dog, Cooper. Most mornings, yeah, he likes to sport different hairdos. <laughs> Most mornings, he and I, we go uh, for a walk. And toward the end of our walk, there is a, a section of sidewalk that we come to that has numerous cracks in it and big chunks of concrete are missing out of it. And oftentimes... I will stand on that cracked and gouged out sidewalk and I'll face east, I'll face the sunrise that marks a new day. And there I offer a silent prayer to God and I thank him for his mercies. And for me, it's a deeply meaningful moment because I'm standing where the sidewalk and all the imperfections of it represent the cracks and missing pieces in my own life. And in that moment, I'm reminded that the sun doesn't only rise on smooth sidewalks. I'm reminded that newness and brokenness can coexist. And it's there that I whisper a prayer. I just whispered it this morning. It's the same prayer every day. I say, God, thank you for a new day, a day that isn't promised to me, but a day that is filled with hope and promise. And I really love the use of the word new in our passage because the word new perfectly aligns with God because God is a God of new things. About a year ago, my wife introduced me to a, uh, to a podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves. 
And it's a podcast hosted actually by a local uh, counselor, a guy by the name of Adam Young. And uh, in a podcast, an episode about a year ago, he dedicated uh, an episode to the topic of hope. And uh, he said something in that podcast that totally caught my attention. He said this. He said that God is someone who creates something that is not derived from your present circumstances. Don't you love that? Let me read that again. God is someone who creates something that is not derived from your present circumstances. And that phrase has stuck with me because it reminds me that God is in the business of creating new things. And of course, reading through the scriptures, we see example after example of this. We witness God's newness in the creation account where God created something out of nothing. God brought forth order out of chaos and he created something completely new. In the account of Abraham and his wife Sarah, we read about this older couple who were long past their childbearing years, but were given a child in their old age. They were filled with hope because they experienced something new from God. We all just finished celebrating the Christmas season. That's all about how God conceived the Messiah inside of a young teenage virgin. Hope entered the world through this unwed mother because God did something completely new. So, in light of your own life, what new thing are you hoping for in the year to come? What, what new thing do you want God, do you need God to do in your life? And you might be thinking, oh man, the year to come is going to be the same as the year that just passed. Well, I want to challenge you to pray and invite God into doing something new in your life in 2024. Our verse, it concludes with our third point. The Lord is my portion says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Because again, just to remind us, this is a guy who is witnessing complete carnage. His people have been taken. His city has been ransacked. His religious foundation has been toppled because uh, the temple has been destroyed. And in spite of what he was seeing, in spite of what was right in front of him, he said, I'm still going to hope in God. And that might be exactly where you're at today. Because what you're seeing, what you're looking at isn't looking so good. You might be someone who's holding out hope for relief from physical pain and discomfort, or perhaps you're hoping for complete healing or restoring of relational conflict that you've been experiencing, or you're hoping that God will simply provide you with a job in the year ahead. In all of what you're hoping for, you've probably recognized that there is a balance to hope, isn't there? 
there's a balance to it, almost a mystery to it. Because on one hand, you're holding out hope for things, for restoration, for healing, for provision. But we also know, on the other hand, there are many times that what we hope for doesn't come to fruition. And I don't want to just gloss over this and pretend it doesn't exist, but there is tension in hope, isn't there? In fact, Martin Luther King Jr., many years ago, in a, in a sermon, he, he was uh, sharing about the topic of hope, and he talked about this tension where he said this, the answer lies in developing the capacity to accept the finite disappointment and yet cling to the infinite hope. Let me read that again. The answer lies in developing the capacity to accept the finite disappointment and yet cling to the infinite hope. And you might identify with what Dr. King said and what is beautifully illustrated in this painting titled Hope. The painting was painted by a British artist by the name of George Friedrich Watts in 1886. And this is a genre of art known as symbolism art, where the picture is meant to convey a particular meaning. In late 1885, Watts' adopted daughter, Blanche, had a one-year-old daughter who suddenly died due to an illness. And after her passing, Watts was completely inconsolable. And he was so filled with grief that he wrote a letter to a friend and he said, I see nothing but uncertainty, contention, conflict, beliefs unsettled, and nothing established in place of them. Many of us, I know this morning, can relate to his feeling of hopelessness. The art historian Malcolm Warner described the painting by stating she strains to listen to the sound of the single unbroken string symbolizing both persistence and fragility and the closeness of hope and despair. As we see in the painting Hope, when all of the other strings are broken and gone, she's still plucking on that one last string left on her lyre. You know, I've been a pastor here at Timberline for over 10 years now, and something that happens about every Monday or Tuesday um, is uh, the prayer requests that were submitted from the previous weekend, uh, we receive them, the staff, pastor team, uh, the prayer team, we receive those prayer requests. And I know from reading over and praying over those prayer requests, many of you are plucking on what seems like that one last string of hope. And I want to encourage you this morning to keep plucking. Keep holding on to hope. Don't give up. And at the same time, I want to remind us all that we're not just passive victims in this thing called life. There are things that you and I can do to reach towards hope. You know, going back to the resolutions that I mentioned 
at the front end of my message. Resolutions are really things that we hope for. They're not realized yet because that's where our efforts come in. That's where our efforts come in. There are things you and I can do to work toward hope. And many times this involves the fact that we have to reach out to others for help. If you're someone who has a, perhaps your marriage is on the rocks, what is it that you're hoping for? I'm sure you're hoping for marital harmony, for reconciliation, for closeness, for intimacy. Is the year ahead the year you pursue hope and reach out and, and uh, schedule a, a counseling meeting? Maybe you're caught up in the tangled web of porn addiction. What is it that you're hoping for? What's going to change for you in that area in the year ahead? We all know this about addiction. We can't overcome addiction by ourselves. You're going to need others. So let this be the year that you set your pride aside and reach out to others. Reach out for hope. You know, we have a group that meets here at Timberline. It's called Pure Desire Ministry. Let this be the year that you come to that group. Or maybe you're someone who's grieving. You've had loss in your life, perhaps a failed marriage or loss of a loved one. What is it that you're hoping for? You know, we know that the loss we experience, it never really goes away, but there are healthy ways that you and I can navigate our loss. We have a divorce care group that meets here at Timberline and also a group called Grief Share. And these groups are intended to help us process our grief and provide us all with hope. Don't let the year to come be the same as the year that passed. So you can get information on all of these groups on our website and uh, you can go into the well. So just search for the well on our website. And finally, you might be someone who's looking for more community. We know that many people are yearning to connect in, in healthy ways with other people. And we have tons of ways for you to get involved in community here at Timberline, from Bible studies to social groups to simply volunteering. Don't let the year to come be the same as the year that passed. Pursue hope and get involved in community. Again, information on these kind of groups are available on our church website. And of course, any kind of hopeful change always begins when we are tethered to God in prayer. I love what uh, Pastor Eugene Peterson says about prayer. He says, prayer is not begging God to do something for us that he doesn't know about or begging God to do something for us that he is reluctant to do or begging God to do something he hasn't time for. In prayer, we persistently, faithfully, trustingly come before God, submitting ourselves to his sovereignty, confident that he is acting on our behalf. And I believe that. I believe that God is acting on your behalf today. 
So I want to invite you to begin the new year by joining the Timberline family during our week of prayer and fasting that Pastor Kerry mentioned uh, earlier. So that's coming up January 4th to the 10th. I already planned out what, what I'm going to fast from. But let's pursue hope and journey in our prayer needs together. Again, information for this, you can find it out at guest services or online. Well, let me go ahead and pray for us, okay? Will you pray with me? Father God, as we stand here this morning on the cusp of a new year, may we constantly be reminded of your grace and mercy that is new every day. We thank you for being a God of new things. And we pray now for those who need you to do something new in their life. May you prove to them to be their great provider, to be their great healer, and the one who restores that which has been broken. We thank you, Jesus, for the hope that can only be found in you, an eternal and everlasting hope. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand as we sing one final worship song together. As I walk into the days to come, I will not forget what you have done. For you have supplied my every need And your presence is enough for me Doesn't matter what I feel Doesn't matter what I see My hope will always be And your promises to me Now I'm casting out all fear for your love will set me free, my hope will always be in your promises. Doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be in your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear, for your love will set me free, my hope will always be. And your promises to me, yes, your promises to me. Hey, can we give Cam a hand? A one-man band, right? How, how hard is that? It's so good. We so appreciate you, Cam. And we're so grateful that we could give our worship team a weekend off. Thanks for coming this morning. I want to remind you before you leave, our prayer team is right up here at the front. They would love nothing more than to come alongside you and pray over whatever it is that you might have prayer needs for. And then finally, thanks for giving. You can give online, use the app, or as you make your way out this morning, there's a box in the back of the room. Well, let me offer this final benediction from the letter to the Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust 
in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless everyone. Have a safe and happy new year.